My name is Chris. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Metro Life Church. Welcome. If you're our guest this morning, we hope that you feel as welcome to, and, and I'm so grateful that you're here today because I think the Lord is already speaking to us what he wants to do in us in the remainder of our time together. And, and what a part of that we just saw in this testimony. Uh, what a part of that we just sang in worship where those who are dead come back to life. Those who need restoring are built up in him. And that's what happens when we gather together as a church. That's what happens when we have encounters with the living and loving God. That's what happens, and it's, it's why we as a church look to constantly be at a place, at a posture of readiness for what he wants to do in us and through us. And before we dive into the word, if you want to go ahead and turn to the passage today, it's Isaiah 61, Isaiah chapter 61. It's going to be our passage today. And before we dive into the word, it'd be appropriate for us this morning to take a moment and acknowledge a new part of our building that is now officially open. Uh, it felt like it was kind of dragging on there for a while, but as a church, we are constantly looking at how it is that we're postured, not only for what, what we're called to in ministry today, but what we're called to in the months and years ahead. And for the last few years, we've been working to reclaim a, an oft unused space for us, not only on Sundays, but throughout the week. And so we began a construction project in our lobby and there were so many that were involved. Our deacons were involved uh, to various degrees, kind of helping us to make decisions about how, uh, what was going to go into that space, how we were going to be able to best make use of it, how it was going to serve us for Sunday mornings. I'm so grateful uh, for these individuals that take up this mantle of deacon for us as a church. They serve us in such practical ways. But more than that, there were those who were part of the design process and teams that kind of helped it not only just be functional, but also look like it meant to be there. And so I'm grateful for those like Elizabeth Chu and others who use their gifts uh, to glorify God in this way. Yeah, my voice is doing something weird, right? Even I can tell, and we're going to keep going. So, <clears throat> but there's one individual who kind of oversaw the entire project, and he already knows that I'm going to do this and hates it. And that's Chip Chu. And as he makes his way up here, because I'm going to make him walk all the way up here to get this very kind gift we have for him. Come on, Chip. <laughs> Chip had not only the responsibility of herding the kittens that we hired as our contractors, which is why it took so long, but also uh, taking all of the different ideas, good, bad, and indifferent, and making them something that's practical and something that we can enjoy today. Uh, so Chip, please, for you and Holly, for your family, enjoy that gift from us as a leadership team. And not only that, he had to put up with my bad attitudes and impatience as the process drug on. So for that, I'll just publicly say, please forgive me and thank you. Uh, you know, as we're looking at a space like that, it's so that we can invite in the Destiny and Brysons, or the, if you're our first-time guest, insert your name here. It was designed with you in mind. It was designed to help not only you feel welcome on a Sunday morning, but know how it is that you can connect to the life of this church outside of just these morning gatherings on Sundays. I don't know about you, but Sunday morning at 10 a.m. 
isn't typically my greatest spiritual battle. Those happen throughout the week. Those happen in the moments in between us being together as a church. And that's when we need one another most as the church. And so it's why we take the time and intentionality to welcome our guests, to to say that we want you to be here. We want to be gathered together and not just online, although we're grateful for that component. I know there are several taking advantage of that today with travels or illness. But it's why we want to be able to be together in these gatherings and then together throughout the week. And, and Next Steps helps us to make those connections, whether that's through community or acts of service or understanding our fellowship and things that we prioritize. And I'm grateful for the teams, not only that welcome through Connect, but those that help with Next Steps. And so that space on Sunday mornings, now not just after the service, but before the service as well, will be set aside for Next Steps, those who are guests as a place for us to welcome them in. So if you were intending on using that as your new office workspace, you're welcome to do that throughout the rest of the week. But on Sunday mornings, let's, let's make it a part of our mission as a church to be intentional about welcoming those who are guests here. And more than that, perhaps you can take up the call of being one who brings a guest into that new space and make it our mission to spread this good news that we're going to read about in just a moment with those around us in our community. So thank you for, thank you for uh, that work, Chip. I'm so grateful for you, all jokes aside. Uh, you know, this last week I have received some very kind encouragements from a group of people I don't always hear from. And so my assumption is that means no news is good news, and if that's not the case, let me know. But one of the, encur- the common uh, encouragement that I heard was this, thank you for listening. Well, you're You're welcome. I'm not sure who it was. I think I know who it was. I'm not going to call her out by name. Someone came and gave me a very kind, encouraging, prophetic word last week as well. And said, thank you for listening because it's a reminder that you can hear my voice. But that's not special to me. The call to listen the ability to hear. We all have that. We all have that call to listen. And we all have the ability through the Holy Spirit to hear the voice of the Lord. Church, let's be led by that. Let let me bring you into those in-betweens this week, what that's looked like for me a little bit. And this will kind of happen throughout the, the message this morning. Monday, or Sunday afternoon, Monday, I was wiped out. I was wiped out. Tired. Just maximum output, minimum ability. Wiped out. Tuesday morning, I began to look at some different passages, trying to kind of sort through what I believed the Lord was laying on my heart, bringing to my mind, and and I realized that, that I'm tempted at times. That I love a good plan. And I can put my confidence in a good plan more than I can a living God. 
And I was convicted. I was convicted to the point of not having a passage. So then I was a little flustered by that. Well, that was the way that my Tuesday started. And then there came Wednesday when the doubt came in. Did you really hear that? Maybe that was a one-off. Maybe God moved that day and, and you even said in front of the church, you're not sure what the weeks ahead are going to look like because you're supposed to just go back to what you'd already planned. You're supposed to just return to what was comfortable for you. Did you really hear what you said in front of everybody? And the doubts began to wriggle about my mind. You know what doubt led to on Wednesday? Fear. Doubt led to fear. And perhaps you're here this morning and you can relate with that. You, you say, I, I get that trajectory. I live in the ups and downs of that trajectory. And I think that our passage today is going to help us to understand. It's going to lead us through that process. Uh, there's more to the week. I'll share that in just a moment. But I think our passage is going to help us understand what to do with those lies. What to do in the moments of those temptation. Where is it that we should tune our ear to listen? Who is it that we should look to in those moments as we seek to live for the glory of God. So with that in mind, let us read together Isaiah chapter 61. I'm going to begin in verse 1 and go through verse 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. To grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Holy Spirit, we pray this morning. As we look to your word, as we anticipate a time of corporate prayer that Mike Nash will lead us through in just a few moments, as we look at your word, as we think about being in your presence, as we consider how it is that as you draw us near to yourself, you change us. Father God, we pray this dangerous prayer. Holy Spirit, have your way with us today. And have your way through us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, last week we were talking about hypocrisy. We've talked about this subject over the last couple of weeks, even as we've been in this time of looking at and considering 
the Sermon on the Mount for the 21 days of prayer that we're in the midst of as we begin today a week of fasting, as we look at ways that we can not, not deny ourselves as much as it is receive one who is greater. As we consider these things, I think that we all face those temptations, those moments of doubt. As we look at Isaiah chapter 61, we may look at that and say, this sounds great, but how does it happen? You may look at this and say, who is the me in the midst of this passage? Well, Jesus doesn't want to leave us wondering. If you were to turn over to Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4 in verse 16, it says this, And he, that is Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You know, there's moments in heaven that I would like to go back to in DVR. This would be one of them. What was that moment like? The inauguration of the anointing of Jesus' ministry. His words going forth, and then not just saying that, but saying in the midst of that hearing that the words of Isaiah, chapter 61, are fulfilled. Does that mean that we missed it? Does that mean that because we're hearing it today, proclaimed aloud in this gathering... That we just are left to wish that we were there that day. No. No, it reminds us of why he came in the first place. To bring good news. Well, what good news is that? Well, it's the good news of his sevenfold mission. We see this in Isaiah chapter 61. His mission to preach good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of God's vengeance, to comfort those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown and oil and anointing, to give splendid clothes in place of their ashes of captivity. And the Messiah accomplishes all of these through the preaching of the good news. The good news that those who are in desperate condition, beyond their own ability to do anything about sin that leads to death, actions that bring about shame, that sometimes we have a hard time even articulating the depths of. You may wonder why I bring up shame. Look at Isaiah 61 verse 7. Instead of your shame, the word of God says, there will be a double portion. A double portion of what? Favor. Favor. 
What a release that must be for people. You know, others out there. What a word this is for you and for me today. I don't know about you. I, I'm, I'm a word of the year guy, but they tend to come to me more like 16, every 16 to 18 months. I'm a little slow on my years. Maybe you're a word of the year person, and every year you just have to have a new word. This sounds like a pretty great word, doesn't it? Favor. Favor. Sounds like a great word. Maybe if I just claim that, it'll manifest it in my life. Because that's how that works. Favor. You find yourself thinking, that sounds great. That sounds like a wonderful word for the year. That's what Jesus' redeeming work is for you and for me. It is favor of God. It is a countenance lifted up toward us instead of a hand in opposition against us. Favor. No matter what you're walking through in your life today, if you follow Jesus Christ, this is, and every year thereafter, is a year of favor in the Lord. Let me take care of the word of the year for you for all of eternity, favor. That one's taken. And it's for you today. It's for you today. Favor. It's always the year of the Lord's favor. Why? Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Captives set free. Those who were bound by sin and shame released. This passage talks about a headdress, a beautiful headdress given to them, a garland or a garment that they are now clothed in that is different than the ashes that they are walking around in. Ashes are a sign of mourning. They're a sign of grief, of sorrow, of bereavement, of despair, of failure. Ashes. What do we get instead of ashes? A garland, a garment, something with a, a fragrance to it, the symbol of joy, a gladness and blessing, a success, a reward. Do you see the depths of what Jesus has done for you, church? Last week when we were talking about Jesus, we were talking about how it is that he interacts with us as a savior, that he does not treat us as we so often treat him, where we kind of tuck him away in our pocket. He does not treat us that way. Actually, what scripture shows us is that Jesus draws us near to his very heart. In John, it talks about John, some of the renderings of the original Greek talk about John as if he is leaning against the very bosom, the, the breast, right next to the heart of Jesus. He also calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we might think of that as a joke. But if you're here today and you are a follower or a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are so very near to his heart today. And he describes his heart in the same type of terms as those who are described here as lowly. He uses that same word. My heart is for those who are lowly. My heart is toward those who are mourning. My heart is there for those who are faint of spirit. 
So if you're here today and you find yourself grieving, you find yourself mourning, you find yourself captive, you find yourself faint of spirit, you are on the heart of Jesus Christ this morning. You are not tucked away in his pocket. You are not there so that you can perform some act. He has already performed that for you. You are on his heart. On Friday night, Stephanie and I ran away together because I needed a talking to. See that doubt, that fear? That was the accumulation of a couple of weeks of things going on for me. And I needed a talking to. She's one of the few people who can deliver those well. I hear you, Mom. I needed a talking to. I know I'm not the only person that's ever been in that spot. So I know you know exactly what I'm talking about. And she brought it. And as we were walking around together, we had a few hours together as we ran away, she began to share a challenge that she's facing. Now, she knows I'm going to share this. I told her in real time, babe, this is like my sermon on Sunday. This is exactly it. So this is not an unauthorized illustration. We have had a few years in a row with major milestones in our family and anniversaries. So we just celebrated 25 years. I can't believe she's put up with me that long. Uh, we just celebrated a, uh, our oldest who graduated college. That's amazing to me. Uh, he gets that from his mom. And we're kind of in a place right now. We have our daughter's 16th birthday, so now you know how to pray for us. Uh, that comes up in April. But once we're past that, there's a little bit of what appears to be a length of time before there's more celebrations. Our vacation isn't planned yet for this year, and I, and I told her in that moment, I said, you know, my temptation is to say, well, maybe I'm behind the, the eight ball for not having a vacation planned yet or something like that, and so my reaction is, well, what do I need to do to make this better? I just needed to listen in that moment. But it was, we, it was hard for me to confess that, like, all of a sudden I feel like this anxiety coming in that I, I haven't been doing enough. I hope you understand what I'm talking about. I hope this isn't a message that you hear, well, this is a husband and wife talking to each other, so I have no idea what you're talking about. So I think in any human relationship, we face these moments, don't we? And here's where this passage speaks to us in moments like that. Favor. See, there are some who try to take a passage like this and as they're talking about the Lord's first coming, as we're looking forward to the second coming, they, they do a couple of different things that I believe are not what Scripture actually instructs us. One, they try to make this about the end times. They try to make this about the Lord's vengeance because they say, well, in Luke chapter 2, uh, or excuse me, Luke chapter 4, Jesus didn't actually mention the vengeance of the Lord. And that means that that's a vengeance that's coming on the day of judgment or in the tribulation or something like that. And this is where we have to be very careful not to let secondary doctrines of the church come up and bleed into the primary thing because here's the primary thing. The vengeance of the Lord was exacted on Jesus Christ himself. There's nothing that needs a thousand years to burn off. He received it all. 
So I think that's why he didn't mention the vengeance of the Lord. That was the cup he was about to drink. Some people try to take this and say, well, these are the promises of what we will experience at his second coming. When it is that we see the fruition of all of his work, his, the consummation of his kingdom. I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that's true based on the testimony of Scripture itself. If we were just rescued to wait, what a terrible life we've been called to. And I don't think that it takes this much to describe a terrible life in Jesus Christ. I think it takes this much for us to understand or even begin to comprehend, oh, the depths of the riches of the goodness of God that have been poured out to us. So on Friday night, we began to talk about it. I think one helpful illustration is to see the two comings of the Lord as two mountains. This is not an uncommon illustration that can be used. His first coming was the first mountain, and the second coming is a second one to come. And as we see Scripture, we see it as if it's a landscape before us. And what we can't quite tell is the length of the valley in, in between. Do you know what Stephanie was describing as she was telling me about this lull in our calendar? There's the valley that we're facing. There's the valley that I feel. Some of you are in the valley right now in your life. And you have no idea how long it will be until you feel like you're on the mountaintop again. So this isn't as much about his first coming and his second coming as, as much as it is the highs and lows of everyday life. What happens in the midst of those moments? What happens at the heights? What happens at the depths of our lives? We can trade ashes for beauty. As we are drawn near to Jesus Christ, we are drawn in by a Savior. As we sang earlier, as the Lord begins to open our eyes to where we can see Him now, the love in his eyes, the redemption that he provides for us, that as we begin to see that in new ways through his word, as we begin to see that through the proclamation of his written word to us, not my words, but his words to us, as we begin to take that in, it begins to change us in ways that are difficult to explain. It begins to not only work inside of us, but it begins to well up and it begins to overflow to others that are around us. There are words in Scripture that talk about a pouring out. The passage begins today with the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit of the Lord upon you. If you are not following Him, that vengeance, that hand raised against you, that's a reality that you don't want to explore. And he calls you out of that darkness into his glorious light. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Don't stop there. See what else it says. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Ellen, I've been reading, or excuse me, watching The Crown together. It's been fascinating. She looked at me at one point and she said, I thought you said you liked Churchill. I'm not sure that this is the guy you ever described to me. I was like, it's part of why I like him. He was not perfect. He was flawed. 
And as we've been watching it, we just got through the coronation episode, and they talk about the most holy of moments. This is where, uh, for the first time, as cameras are in this holy place, in the church, scandal. Imagine what they would do with live stream. Okay, different subject. Don't go there, Chris. There's a moment that is covered because it's the most sacred moment. There's a moment where the queen is anointed. What happens in that moment? Oil is poured out on forehead and chest. Why? To protect mind and heart. Sounds a little bit like Philippians. That the Spirit of God will protect our mind, guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What does this anointing do? Well, it is the pouring out of God's love. It is the pouring out of His Spirit upon us. What happens in the midst of this pouring out? What what happens when we are anointed? What happens is the garland of hope is given for the ashes of fear. The garland of love for the ashes of hate. The garland of new promise for the ashes of regret. The garland of divine friendship for the ashes of human loneliness. The garland of joy in God for the ashes of sorrow and sin. The garland of inward healing for the ashes of soul's sickness. The garland of moral victory for the ashes of defeat. The garland of spiritual liberty for the ashes of bondage. Church, do we begin to understand what it is that this anointing does? Not only for Jesus Christ as it it is the inauguration of his ministry, but as it overflows to us through the comforter who is poured out at Jesus' direction for us. We begin to receive the garland of our heart's ease for the ashes of unrest, the garland of godly contentment for the ashes of worldly envy, the garland of a worthwhile life for the ashes of godless pleasure, and a garland of victory and holiness for the ashes of defeat. This pouring out of Christ reminds us of how it is that Christ himself poured himself out. Philippians chapter 2 talks about this. Many of the renderings that we have today, ESB, CSB, they they say it in this way. They say that he emptied himself. There are other renderings that say this, that he poured himself out. And you may say, well, Chris, that doesn't seem like enough to say that this anointing is the same for us. Well, how about Joel 2.28? The Lord will pour out his spirit and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Well, we have both represented here. What are you doing with this anointing that the Lord has done for you? This is the promise of what's to come. What are you doing with this anointing today? How is it changing you? How is it drawing you closer to himself? How is it transforming you in the midst of this life? What about Acts chapter 2, verse 33? Therefore, being exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Have you seen this pouring out? Have you heard this pouring out? Are you participating in it yourself? What about Acts chapter 10, verse 45? And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even to the Gentiles. Isaiah is written primarily to the people of God, the Israels, the Jews. But we begin to see that there is this greater kingdom work that is happening. Here, let me make this clear to you. We are not building the kingdom of God. 
We are not prompting the kingdom of God. Our actions don't cajole the kingdom of God to move to the right or to the left. Jesus is building his kingdom, and we get to be a part of it. How is it that we're empowered to do so? The pouring out of his Holy Spirit, the anointing of his Holy Spirit falling on us. What a privilege, church. What a privilege. What about Romans chapter 5, 5? And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Christ poured himself out. And he commissioned the Holy Spirit to be poured out on us as we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. We have received the Spirit who is upon us and we get to be baptized again and again and again in the goodness of his presence. There's not just a ceremony that we go and be a part of. There's not just a one-time filling of this Holy Spirit. There's not just a one-time pouring out of this Holy Spirit. We are commanded to be filled regularly, daily. Why? So that in those highs of the week and in those lows of the week, we might know this to be true. Not about our circumstances or our experiences in, in this fallen world, in this temporary life, but of the richness of our identity in Jesus Christ, that we should be called sons and daughters. Spirit of God, give us a heart to care for the hurting, the poor, the captive, the brokenhearted, the mourning, the faint of spirit, the outcasts, in the same way that Jesus did. But I think John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39 gives us instruction in how it is that we do this. How we pray for this anointing. How that we don't just see something here and not realize that we can experience it for ourselves on the daily. Every moment, every hour. That we ourselves can be those who are listening. That we ourselves are those who can hear with clarity. John 7.37 says this, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts! Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Let me just highlight four words that we see there. Thirst, come, drink, and believe. Thirst, come, drink, believe. If we want to receive the Lord's anointing in our lives, be thirsty, church, for his presence. It's a place of desperation. We need to know that we need the Holy Spirit. Do you know this today, church? Do you find yourself in a place where you say, this seems very aspirational. I like the sound of that. 
Or do you find yourself in a place where you realize, I have nothing to offer to accomplish that? There's a difference. It's a posture of heart and mind. Do you know that you need to drink of these waters? Are you thirsty for the Holy Spirit, church? Then come. Then come. Those who are thirsty recognize that there are certain garments that they have been wearing that they need to send to the thrift store. What they need to replace it with is a garment of praise. Is it that you need to trade in your works for His grace? Do you need to swap church for Christianity? Do you need to exchange your I deserve better than this for I'll take His mercy? Do you need to surrender religion for relationship? Do you need to yield your funeral wreath for a bride's veil and a garment of praise? Do you need to give up gloom for radiant joy? Do you need to give up a spirit of heaviness? Do you need to receive this garment, this beautiful, fragrant peace that we get to go around? Do you need to take these mournful ashes of deadness toward God in this winter that you might be walking in spiritually? Do you need to receive the warmth of new life in the spring that God's work does? Then come to Jesus. See, in my house, what we call what Stephanie was doing and giving me my talking to is a come to Jesus talk. That's our language for it. Stephanie didn't just need me to fix myself. Stephanie needed me to come to Jesus. She didn't need me to encounter her. She needs me to encounter a Savior. As we were walking around, I heard this southern mom say to her family, she said, y'all go ahead. Now, anytime I hear a a good southern accent, I'm tuned in. Y'all go ahead. Oh, I heard it. Let me listen to the rest. And I'm going to go handle this. I don't know what y'all just heard, but I heard a threat and a promise. I will handle this. Lord, help the attendants you went to talk to. How many of you are trying to handle this life without the Holy Spirit? How many of you are just trying to handle this for yourself and you are finding yourself out of strength? Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He is the only thing who is enough to fill you and to pour out His Spirit. Are you thirsty? Come to Him. Do what? Drink. Be a willing, ready vessel. Be ready to receive. It's not just asking for a drink. Take the time to do so. That's what we're going to do here in just a moment in corporate prayer. And you receive by believing. Trust Jesus to fill you with his Holy Spirit. Trust Jesus to fill you with his Holy Spirit. It's not so that you can feel his nearness. It's so that you know where you've always been. It's so that you can know where you've always been near to him. Do you believe this? This isn't hyping yourself up in spirituality. This isn't manipulating your own emotions. This isn't trying to get revved up for the Lord. 
This, Jesus didn't promise the Holy Spirit to those who would feel right. He promised the Holy Spirit to those who would believe. Do you believe? See, there's some lies that might enter in that, that undermine that believing. Band, I'm about to close. What about this lie? You're a hypocrite. Sure, you're serving Jesus, but you don't really mean it. It's really all about you. It's really all up to you. You might as well just give up now. How many of us have heard that lie and give in to it? Scripture says this in 1 John 3, 19 through 20. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. What about this passage from 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4? It says this, I do not judge myself. It is the Lord who judges me. Those are truths that we see in God's word that can speak to that lie. What about another lie? You're a loser. You have ruined your life. You're too damaged by now for any good for the Lord God. You'll never amount to anything in his kingdom, so you might as well just give up now. Well, Isaiah 61, 1 through 4 speaks directly to that. The poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, they might be oaks of righteousness. In the midst of deserts, you can be the planting of the Lord. Are you flourishing in the midst of the wasteland that you are planted in? That's not your doing. Isaiah chapter 61 says this, that the Lord may be glorified in your life. Build up the ancient ruins. What does that mean? Maybe it's the ruins of generations in your family. Well, I'm this way because my grandpappy was that way, and he was that way because his grandpappy was that way. I'm not calling this generational curses. I'm calling this generational sin, bad examples, life not lived up to the call of the glory of God. Perhaps your family has been dysfunctional for generations, and you have the opportunity through the Holy Spirit's power to build up ancient ruins. What about the church? What about institutions around you? There is a lot of talk about deconstruction these days, but I, what I see happening in Scripture is Christ is building something, not deconstructing it. Listen, these are going to be some quick comments. They might be offensive. I'm more about detangling than deconstructing, but here's what's clear. Rebuilding needs to be done. Building rightly needs to be done. You get to be a part of that. It's easy to be cynical. It's difficult through the power of God or through our own strength to try to build anything. So let's not build it. Let's let Christ build it. Let's look to Him to build rightly. What about this law? What about this lie? You are too small. The complexities of your life, this crowded world that you live in today, you are buried in the noise of this world around you. You're too small. You'll never make a difference. Give up. 1 Corinthians 1, 28 and 29 says this. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. So that no human being can boast in the presence of God. You know, in its own way, each one of these lies is believable, isn't it? If we don't look at the depths of what God has done, if we don't come to a place of believing in the truth of Scripture and receiving it for ourselves, 
we get to push back to the lies of our own mind. We get to push back to the lies of the world around us by declaring God's word. That is proclaiming good news. And it has a surety to it that our own thoughts can't generate the depths of. Church, thirst, come, drink, and believe. Let's stand together and sing.